So um, several of you I know are going to be there for that. Um, if you're interested, um, please join us for that. Um, and now I'm going to invite Dylan to come up, and Dylan is going to do our scripture reading. Thanks, Dylan. Good morning, everybody. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, if you'd like to turn there with me. And then we are going to stand in honor of reading God's word. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them, suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. And that the, day, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day... Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Reliance. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I, I'm going to go to prayer in a second. Um, I want to admit, over the last couple of weeks, I've really enjoyed our time. I feel like... Uh, like last week was such a joy to worship with you. Uh, eight years ago, like, <laughs> it was a lot different. And uh, you guys have been, over the last several years, it's been hard. Um, a blessing to my family. want to give a shout out to the youth group. Um, thank you that the auction is not going on during my sermon. Um, I'm thankful for what our youth are committing to, that we have a youth group. Um, grateful for the way that you guys love one another. And over the last couple of weeks, my aim has been before we here just next week, we're going to transition. We've been in the New Testament for several years. Um, and we're going to go to Genesis here in a few weeks. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, it was my, my aim to kind of just remind ourselves the hope that we have in Christ. Not that that's going to be gone when we go to the Old Testament, where we read the Old Testament with a unique privilege, where we see and we know who the fulfillment of the promises are. And so two weeks ago, I spent a little bit of time just looking at Psalm 22 with you. Who is Christ? He is the one who has fulfilled Scripture. 
Last week, we gathered together and we looked at uh, Revelation 1, 17 through 18. Who does Christ say he, who he is? And we together gathered and we worshiped and we considered him. When, Paul, or when John wrote, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He placed his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. That was so much fun. Worship around and look at the text with you. There's something that happens after Easter week, at least for pastors. It's like the, the, the stillness after such a celebrating weekend for us as a church. At least I find it this way, and it might be for some of you. In some ways, we recognize that the gospel every Sunday is supposed to be considered and reflected upon, and we transform our lives towards it. And we know, yes, through last week, that that Sunday was particularly unique in that throughout this world, many heard the gospel. Many. However, many, after hearing the good news of the gospel, hearing its goodness, its value, and infinite worth, went back to life as normal. Unimpressed by its significance, and went on with life as normal. Jesus anticipated this even during his ministry. He was keenly aware and anticipated that when the gospel was preached, that many would go on simply after considering it as though their own lives and their own purposes, that's what mattered, and not that which he preached. It's the reality that we recognize that happens in every single generation. And so I pray for you, pray for those throughout this world that that wouldn't happen this Resurrection Sunday. People, we recognize that the gospel is being poured out week after week. It's God who causes the growth. Nights the hope that we have within us. And so the words that I choose today that I spend before us is kind of the, uh, like there's a high and then there's the reality check. So today, my aim for us is the reality check. And so I hope you hear my, my words with a tone of just concern for us and for the world around us. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, For you yourselves know full well the day of the Lord will come. What I have to do this morning first is describe what is that. And as we recognize what it is, I pray that we recognize what we've been saved from and the hope that we have in Christ. And so I'm going to go to prayer now with that in mind. And I know that you have friends and family that not only just went to Sunday on here at Reliance, but throughout the city, throughout this world, that God would cause growth. But I pray here that this would... Yeah, whatever the reality check is, remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the gospel, for it is good news. Just as John proclaimed, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that so whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
Lord, there is a world that does not know that they are perishing. And we often recognize that even in our own situations, how do we make that aware? Whereas so many go on living life with, without a fear of death. But we know that the wages of sin is death. And not just death physically, but then also spiritually, an eternal separation from the Creator who desires a personal relationship with us. Lord, we recognize in the hope that's set before us in Christ, there is just the keen reminder of your incredible patience to allow everyone the opportunity to hear and respond. And so, Lord, as we consider before we move on, Lord, we know you're coming. And Lord, we know that in your coming you have been patient. Lord, I pray that we would be diligent to fear you, to hope in you, to revere you, and to be faithful to the stewarding of the gospel which you have placed in our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, yeah, Paul writes these last words. I, I was going to preach on the ascension of Christ, and then I realized when I got here on Monday that I had preached on the ascension of Christ the day, the week after Christmas, and I didn't know that I could preach on it twice so soon. And so then I was thinking, why did I want to preach on it? It was this really this reality in 1 Thessalonians. And when Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, and if you would just let this, it's kind of a reality check or just the refreshing of the mind of what's at stake for the sinner and for those who hope in Christ. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well, and I underline that, or make emphasis of that, do we? Do we know full well what is to come? That's my aim this morning. You yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come. And Paul's going to stress is that um, the day of the Lord and what it is in our first point is it's this idea in which the carelessness of men who upon hearing the good news store up for themselves wrath. Um, I said this earlier and I've said it multiple times and I, you probably hear it over week after week but the gospel is n good news because it saves us from something. When I read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he whoever believes in him shall not perish. Perish means something. Eternally. Has, has something that's been embedded into that word, Scripture's understanding of what it is. And this is why Jesus and John, the apostles, they, their, their gospel message is always the same. John the Baptist says, repent. Jesus comes and he says, repent. Peter's first message at Pentecost, repent. Why? The day of the Lord is coming. And if you understand the term of the day of the Lord, in one sense, for those who hope in God, it has this this, this hope within it. But as you understand the hope, it also, as you get, give it context, sends this chill down the back of the man's back. 
understanding that it emphasizes the wrath of God to come. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come. I call it the reality check because it, and why would I do this after Easter weekend? Because, because the gospel saves us from something. And it's from this reality that God, Christ, will return. And I could try to describe this term through my own words, the day of the Lord, but Scripture does a great job of unf- uh, revealing the context of it. So I've, I'd rather not mumble along trying to explain it, but to give it context just by looking by three or four passages with the Old Testament. I could spend a lot more time because the Old Testament fills up this phrase, what it means. But in in short, it points to the judgment that is coming. Isaiah 13, 6 through 11. Songs that you won't hear on Caleb. Well, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. So we go through this, like, I, was, I admit it, this sermon's not very happy. But that's what makes the gospel such good news. Like, as Greg said, there's justice in God, there's mercy in God, there's grace and love and anger, justified anger. The Lord, the day of the Lord is near. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment. Their faces aflame. Isaiah is not very seeker friendly. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land of desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Why? The Lord made the earth. It's his. And sinners have stood against him. And when the day of the Lord comes, for the stars of heaven and their consolation will not flash forth their light, the sun will be dark when it arises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus... I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. It's the reason why Jesus said, repent. It's the reason why Peter said, repent. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that so whoever believes in him shall not experience this judgment of God. Like well, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he, he anticipates they have context for what they'll be saved from. For you yourselves know full well what is set for, your, for those in this city. And it will come in the day of the Lord in which they do not expect. I said I would read three or four. Zephaniah 1, 2, and 3. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. 
I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins all along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. The day of the Lord carries this idea of judgment. God's patience has come to its point where he must now respond. One more, Amos 5, 18 through 20. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light, and as when man flees from a lion and bear finds, or a bear meets him, or he goes home and leans against, or his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? My concern, is the silence after a resurrection Sunday, is, is just as in Jesus anticipated that when the gospel is preached that there are many who would hear it and they would go on and living life totally unaware of what is coming. Or dismissive of the reality set before them. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. It will be here. Verses like this are the, are the passion of the church in that it's the way that we love the city around us. It's what gives us concern for those around us. The incredible patience that Christ has given, God has given towards humanity, and that He has allowed every generation to hear the good news. You don't have to experience this. I mean, think about this. We're going to go to Genesis. God gives Noah 120 years to build an ark. The world watch, watches a crazy man build an ark. And Noah says, judgment is coming. No. Judgment is coming. No. For 120 years. The distinction be, be, by the way that Noah acts and the people who were unconcerned about the day of the Lord was incredibly distinct and different. A man who fears the Lord and the day of the Lord prepares for it. In those days, you build an ark. But those who do not fear it go on living life as it means nothing. In fact, it was Jeremiah who had a pet peeve for the prophets who would go into the city of Jerusalem and they would and he would preach, peace, peace, the false teachers. Jeremiah 6, 14. These false prophets, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. Okay, that's heavy-handedness, right? I can imagine, just like every generation, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. God of the New Testament, Jesus Christ is nowhere harsh as this, right? He, he's not concerned. He's rather about love and acceptance and tolerance. I ask you to read him. He talks about this day of the Lord with severity, and that's why he says, repent. Why am I doing this? What, maybe what, I'm doing this for my sake. It's so refreshing to my soul to remember what's at stake. 
They put off so much. Jesus was keenly aware and anticipated that when the gospel is preached, that many would simply go on living as if it wasn't good news. Uh, Matthew 24, 29. This strikes me every time. When he comes, because he did promise that he would return, 24, 29 to 30, this is what he says. This is what's going to take place immediately after the, after the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Sounds like Isaiah 13. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will rejoice. Oh. That mourn. Realizing they were right. Judgment is coming. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with, of the sky with power and great glory. We spent time last week. Revelation is fun, especially chapter 1. But even in chapter 1 of Revelation, Jesus gives this warning about the day of the Lord. Revelation 1, 7 through 8. Behold, Paul says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Matthew 13, 41-42. I read these just to prove a point. Jesus anticipated his coming as the day of the Lord. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and will gather out his kingdom, all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. will throw them into the furnace of fire in that day, place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So when Noah was heard about the, the day of the Lord, he built an ark. And Jesus, when he comes and he says, repent, judgment is coming, he's looking for Noah's who will prepare for the day of his coming, the judgment. Hope in him. Rest within his grace. But he anticipated, even when he preached that gospel message to the world, that the way the people acted in the day of Noah would be the same way that they would act after his ascension, generation after generation. So that he says in Matthew 24, 38-39, concerning Noah, concerning the present situation where we find ourselves in. For as in those days before the flood, Noah's day, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Like they heard about the judgment and just went on living life as normal. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming the Son of Man be. It's a reality check. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Look at verse 3, 1 Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 3. 
It sounds just like what Jesus taught, just like in the day of Noah. Paul writes, while they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly. Labor pains upon a woman. Excuse me, let me read it again. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like a labor pains upon a woman with a child. And they will not. What are we supposed to say? Like, I live in a generation where the church is, I'm concerned. I shouldn't say the church. But there are those within those within the church who are joining within the world. Peace. Peace. Safety. God loves you. There's nothing to worry about. For God sent his only son to you to show you how much he loves you. All true, without a plea to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and your eternal position is at stake. I plead with you, parents, co-workers, family members, those who live in the city, what do they need to hear? For how will they know the good news if they don't know what's coming? Like these are the things of why Paul writes these things. But, but while he writes these things, he also recognizes that when he writes these things, he anticipates an expectation for how Christians will live in light of this reality. And this is why he, he heightens this awareness that we all recognize God's coming. Christ is coming. And now we do not expect that he says, point two, thanks for sticking with me through that. It's just, it's just the reality check. Stay on the alert. Right? Just like Noah, when he un- anticipated the judgment of God, he trusted in the, that God is true to his promises. I'm going to flood the earth, build a boat. Trusted in the promises of God, he anticipated and prepared. Paul, in the same light, is calling the church. You know it's coming. So your obedience should model the same way as Noah was responding to the promises of God as a church. Look what he says. This is how you ought to live in light of this reality. Jesus anticipated this, that when the gospel was heard, that many would go on and live as life was nothing changed. Just as Jesus taught this, Paul both taught this reality that the world would respond and go live as life as it is, but not for the beloved. They would live a totally different way. Look at how he says the beloved will live in verse 4. But you, brethren, are, you are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. You, you're, you're anticipating it. The day of the Lord is coming. It, coming. You're aware of it. You've prepared. Well, how have you prepared? Responded to the Savior in repentance, and giving your allegiance, making Him Lord of your life, trusting that His death on the cross was payment for your sins, that He, was di- he died and He rose again on the third day, and He has ascended to heaven, and He's coming back. But brethren, you're not in darkness, that the day would overcome you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Look at verse 6. 
So then, let us not sleep as others do. But let us be alert and sober. Let me lighten this up a little bit. Um, some of you might have heard this story, but I, I told it seven years ago, so if you heard it, be gracious to me or remember it. That would honor me if you remembered my sermon seven years ago. Um, but I used to work at uh, um, a distribution facility uh, called, well, let's say they actually have a, a spot here in Tri Cities called Walker's Furniture. Well, in Spokane, um, they have the distribution place that goes out throughout all their, their different stores. Um, place that we worked, we had to work four tens. It was fun. Uh, that meant for the boss that he got three-day weekends every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was a really good gig for him. Um, I had to work Fridays and Saturdays. So that was uh, not my... Uh, I wasn't ranked up with him yet. Um, but one thing that I noticed early on when I started working for Walker's Furniture was is that when he was gone on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, it's, it's amazing how young college students act when the boss is gone. Um, and he knew this, and so he would anticipate that while his authority was gone, that he would have to come be creative and provide ways for his employees to work while he was gone. And so what he would do is he would write on a list of boards of, th- of things that he wanted done throughout the weekend. And that was a good motivator. Um, however, it wasn't always efficient. And he was aware of that. So the other thing that he would do is occasionally, on Friday or Saturday, he would show up unannounced. And he would catch something um, and go, what are you doing? Uh, one day, I got careless. Um, we used to have this hallway where we'd take all the furniture down to load it up in the trucks. But along the hallway, we had these big boxes and we were always getting extra sofa bags. And we'd always fold up those sofa bags and put it in there, in these boxes. Well, from time to time, somebody would cl- climb into the box, and then they would cover the person up with all the plastic. And if somebody was hand-carting a sofa or a 400-pound desk, jump out of the box and scare the person. That was super fun, right? College kids, we, we were living life on the edge. Well, I got careless one, one day. I think it was on a Saturday, bosses away, employees can play. Um, I got in the box, got covered, and milliseconds, I hear the boss come around the corner unannounced. And now I'm in the box, crunched, ready to like <laughs> to jump out. And I know I can't jump out and scare this guy. <laughs> because my boss has a reasonable expectation. His reasonable expectation is he's given me a job. Comes with health insurance, dental insurance, is all right, um, 401k, and it paid for my living. And his expectations were I work, not get in boxes. And so I'm sitting there in a box thinking, what in the world do I do? And he stands next to the box. And he stands there for 20 minutes. My thighs were on fire. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I will never do this again. And he left. And he never knew I was there. 
Um, uh, this, the, the lesson is that you can get away with not working. That's not the lesson. The lesson is, is that what my boss knew is that unexpected appearing motivated employees. I never did it. I don't think I ever did it again. Hope not. The Lord Jesus Christ is so much more terrifying, more wonderful, glorious than someone who gives me my allowance for a house. And Paul, when we recognize what the day of the Lord is and when we understand what the gospel is, what it's provided for us, it's supposed to so shape the believer's response to the present realities. And that you're supposed to steward what's been given to you. Not settle for mediocre behavior. Like for the Christian who anticipates what's coming, the way that we ought to live is not is like Noah, but not like those who, upon hearing the gospel, go on living life as normal. See, I failed and I got careless in that one moment. And it, but for some reason, that event reminded me of what's coming. And I'll tell you, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be found sitting in a box when the boss shows up, even more so when Christ shows up and is appearing. Look at, read it again. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness. You know what's coming. He said he's coming. He's promised he's coming. At an hour that which you do not expect... But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. You're like anticipating it. For you are all sons of light, sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us be alert and sober. Verse 7. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. They have to cover up their shame under the darkness. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath to live like it. but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Paul uses language like a soldier, that the gospel which you have been gifted with, that you would so steward and arm yourself with it, that you're prepared to walk within its goodness. So transforming your way of living that you're not found living in the dark, but be found living according to its truth. I'm going somewhere with this. And my plea is this. The world totally watches different things. It does different things with its time, with its spare time, and with its money. And if the people of God find themselves doing the same things, what are we? And what are we doing? Like Paul, he writes in, in with the same language there as we looked a few months ago in Romans 13, 12 through 13. The night is almost gone. 
The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing or in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. The day of the Lord is coming. It's supposed to transform the way that we live our lives, that we fear that we might be doing something wrong when he comes. And the attitude, what I find with Paul, one more verse before we get to our convictional response. The attitude with Paul, and before we take the table, and Christ, is there's only two categories, the light or the darkness. Jesus, when he talks about his return in the day of the Lord, a good slave and an evil slave. If you really believe he's coming back, it changes the way that you use your time. Jesus even says in Matthew 24, to emphasize this, there's only two categories. For this reason, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whose master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So in light of knowing that the day of the Lord is coming, that Jesus is returning, it so transforms the way that you live, you'll be found being faithful at his return. This is why Jesus can say, I can tell, you can tell a tree by its fruit. Tell who they're following. He continues. But if the evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on the day when he does not expect him, and an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus anticipated many upon hearing the good news. Paul, being a follower of Christ as well, anticipated upon many hearing the good news of Jesus Christ would go living life as normal. But not Christ's followers. They would be alert. They'd be ready. Our conviction response. Look at verse 11. How does, it, how does a Christian stay on the alert? Bear good fruit, steward, do good. Like, my boss would write a list. This is what I want done. This is how he talked. This is what I want done. Um, Jesus has given the beloved a list of things which show us how to act when he returns. Therefore, encourage one another. Build up one another, just as you also are doing. Verse 12. Right? So often we treat the gospel, let's treat the gospel as an individual response to Christ, which it is. But the response of living that out is with a people. Like, you want to be found doing right when Christ returned, be found living amongst his people. Verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you 
have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. That you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with one another. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterance, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from evil, from, from, from every form of evil. What does it look like? Be diligent to one another to love one another, to care for one another. One of the reasons why we want to do small groups or Bible studies or youth groups, or what, even this plays a part of it, even in a moment when we conclude our service, is to love one another. And the way that we sh- show that we're living in the light is by our unity and our peace and our encouragement and the building up of one another. But when we find ourselves not able to do that we join in with another world that does not think that there is judgment coming. And while we recognize that there is judgment coming, our love to our Savior is expressed to our loves one, one another. Now I can hear the critic saying, well, well, we need to help the world absolutely of the gospel, regularly and faithfully. And Jesus recognized that that is what he has gifted us to do to the world, to preach the world regularly about what is coming but the means by which we live in the light is by loving one another which brings me to our table this morning so with all that said he's coming and the day of the lord for you for those who hope in christ jesus is a day of hope for he's promised that he will establish a new kingdom repent for the kingdom is near at hand And the kingdom which he offers you is eternally wonderful. And so the table is exclusive. It is for those who have responded to Christ in faith through baptism, making Jesus Christ Lord of our life. We don't take the table by ourselves. We take it together as a family. So if you have not responded to the gospel, we'd ask you, or responded in faith through baptism, not to take it, just to consider who Christ is. Consider consider the will being sober and on the alert. And as you hold the, t- the bread and the cup, and before we take it together, I'd ask you simply this one question to consider. Where are you not being sober? Where are you not being alert? Where are you entertaining the darkness? And we know that God is re- will, will receive our repentance. And as a family, as we consider these things, we pursue living life in the darkness. And so with that, let's pray.